As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Soccer Show, and our review of Champions League match day three. Twas a match day where Reese fleeced Milan, where the officials didn't have any fans among the Catalans, where Bayern were flying, where Lopetegui saw his job conclude, no thanks to a dude named Jude, and where Erling Haaland kept it lean by only bringing his season goal tally to 19. Yikes. My name's Ryan Bailey, here with slightly better judgment than the referees in the Inter versus Barca game is one Taylor Rockwell. Hello, Taylor. I mean, that, that that's high pressure. You don't know what kind of calamities I might be causing in this recording session. You never know, Ryan Bailey, but I appreciate you setting the stage. Indeed. I mean, a, a, low, a low bar is what you're going to get there, I suppose, Tay Tay. Yeah, I'm, I'm just going to like over talk when Graham wants to talk. I'm going to like disagree at random points. I'm going to insist we talk about a game that nobody has notes for. I'm just going to create <laughs> chaos because that's what I think VAR did pretty well in that game. Wonderfully so, Tay Tay. And we'll get to that very shortly, but not before yeah, we, we introduce. See, yeah, I'm doing it already. I'm doing it already. Oh, he's done it. He's done it. He's done it. Joining us, uh, Mr. Interrupter and myself, is a man who welcomes our new overlords napoli is that right graham ruthman absolutely i do i mean we've got no choice at this point it feels like (laughs) even if i don't welcome them they're they're going to take over the world anyway they are indeed they're quite terrifying at the moment we shall get to them later on in the show as well but joining us a man with the grease and poise of a Lionel messi first time hit joe lowry hello sir oh that's the highest compliment i could ever hope to receive that hit from Messi was so good over the weekend. I believe with that goal, he became the first player in Champions League history to score against 40 different teams in the Champions League. 40. That is so many different teams, given that it's basically the same group, relatively speaking. Basically at least most as many of as in MLS. Right. It's, I mean, almost, Grant, <laughs> almost. Let's not go carried away here. I mean, it was a beautiful goal, and Messi continues to be just incredible, as yes. always. 40 is so many teams indeed, Joe. It is, in fact, 40 teams. Um, it is. That's as, many. Yeah, so many. many. So many indeed. And we should get to Mr. Messi and his PSG ilk shortly as well. But before we get to the action, 
We're doing a live show, everybody. In case you haven't heard, we are coming to New York for the start of the World Cup, uh, Sunday, November 20th. Please come and see us at Littlefield, Brooklyn. It is not a field. It's not particularly little. It is a lovely indoor venue where uh, our cohort Graham pointed out that both David Cross and James Acaster have done stand-up sets. So, Graham, a um, lot of pressure for you to be hilarious when we do Littlefield. Well- I'm planning on uh, blowing myself at uh, at Littlefield when we when we go to buy a Sphinx joke there for for anyone who's watched yeah. that show. Yeah. Just don't do it prematurely, Graham. Just don't do it prematurely. Of course, wise <laughs> advice. <laughs> and we are all staying together in Brooklyn, so I'm glad you're in Evernude at this point, Graham, as well. That will uh, help us all out very much. Um, Joe, you getting all these references? You, you love it. them all? Love it. See, actually, I did kind of get little bits and pieces, so I'm pretty proud of myself for that. <laughs> Excellent stuff. Um, we're going to be backstage and we're just going to find blue handprints all over like the, the, the room that we, we, we have to like get ready and just, you know, signs of Tobias Funke being there. There's... There's a a wonderful masterpiece of a film called The 13th Warrior that I'm going to assume everyone has seen. Uh, in that one, Antonio Banderas playing, I believe, an Arab man, uh, is like camping with Vikings and just slowly learns their language by hearing them all talk around a campfire, like over the course of like maybe a couple nights. And I feel like that's what Joe is with a lot of our references. He's just slowly sitting there squinting and listening and being like, I think I think I understand that one. Is he blue the whole time? Is that what's happening? Joe's slowly learning the language of the reference. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful stuff. Well, please come and see us at Littlefield, Brooklyn. It is on the weekend. It's on Sunday night. Uh, if you are around uh, the New York uh, metropolitan area, we would love to see you. Love to hang out and have a drink with you. Still a few tickets left please uh, uh, check him out. The link in the description for that one. And by the way, I was talking to my friend who used to live in Brooklyn who said there's a great brewery called Three's Brewery, which is one block away, and another place called Pig Beach, which I like the sound of. It's evocative. Pig Beach. (laughs) And there's, there's of course, Lucky 13 Saloon. We discussed the metal bar opposite where um, they dance on the bar. Joe's going to dance on the the bar. Yeah, That's what's going to happen. After a couple of shoeys, maybe. Yeah, that's right. I'm Joey's going to shoot you a PBR because it's Brooklyn, and I think that's what you're supposed to do there. <laughs> and then he's going to uh, yeah, dance on the bar of the metal bar afterwards. I'm sorry, that's do other option. beers have a blue ribbon, Ryan? I, I, I feel like until another beer gets a blue ribbon, you drink the one that has the blue ribbon. That's right. It's like the winner of a dog show. It is a wonderful beer, Tay-Tay. Wonderful <laughs> indeed. Uh, let's get to the Champions League action from this week, though. Uh, Inter Milan won Barcelona nil. Hakan Chananolu making the difference in this game. Or was it the officials that made the difference in this game? Uh, a big win for Inter this was, who are now three points clear of Barcelona in their group. Barcelona prepared a formal complaint to UEFA over the refereeing in this game. Uh, we had mm, a few con- controversial points, Graham, in this one. Denzel Dumsfries with, we're going to call it a fairly uh, obvious handball in the 92nd minute. We had um, a 67 minute equaliser ruled out for Ansu Fati for handball, which was ruled mm. out by VAR. Uh, a few other things, although you know um, Eric Garcia arguably got, got away with a handball himself in the first half. Uh, that looked like a certain penalty too. So um, a bit of a chaotic one, Graham. Yeah, so let's address each of those VAR decisions quickly because you know this chat can get a little bit tedious if we go on a little bit too long. But the first one, I think... Um, what happened there was there was an offside decision that became a factor after they went to VAR. The this, the second one is for the the disallowed goal. Pedri scores after a cross comes into the middle. Onana kind of gets caught under the cross and then he tucks it in. But there's a, there's a handball by Ansu Fati. That one I think was probably the correct decision. That was one where I, when I looked at it in real time, I did not see that at all. And then when they slowed it down, you could see that it clearly Ansu Fati's hand had kind of been up above his shoulder and and it flicked off. His, his fingers. The second one, though, 
was probably the wrong decision, to my eye at least. So Ansu, Ansu Fati, he's about to get on the end of a cross and into the box. And Denzel Dumfries basically deflects it away from him with an arm and an arm that isn't by his side at all. So I, I don't really know how that wasn't a p- penalty. So I sympathize somewhat with, with Xavi who lost his cool towards the end of, of this match and was waving imaginary banknotes towards the officials, uh, sort of implying <laughs> that the referees had been paid off, which in Italy, by the way, I think we've spoken about this before, is hugely disrespectful. So I saw that on the front page of some of the Italian sports dailies this morning, not a picture of Inter getting a, a, a timely win, a win that really eases the pressure on Simone and Zaghi, but a picture of Xavi uh, waving his imaginary banknotes, which is quite apt for Barcelona because that's basically what they do in the transfer window. <laughs> can, can I ask a question? So Ryan, maybe you would have the best detail on this, or, or maybe you, Graham. Why is it more offensive to do that in Italy than in other places? Because, you know, implying or clearly suggesting that someone is cheating is is not like a kind thing to do regardless. Why is it worse in Italy than in uh, like Scotland or England or the US? So I'd say, before, before you jump in, Graham, truth hurts a little bit is, is the uh, um, yeah. certain aspect of it. But also, it's interesting with Inter, who I believe for the Calciopoli scandal, of course, of the early 2000s, right. um, they were the ones who snitched everybody else in. And they were the innocent party, if memory serves me correct. So uh, interesting that it was aimed at them, Graham. Hmm. Yeah, so Calciopoli is, is, I think that is the answer, is that, uh, you know, Italian soccer was was pretty badly scarred by that scandal. Um, so any sort of mention of that is slightly taboo because there is the sense that mm, maybe there, maybe it could happen again. I, I don't know. That's that's maybe joining the dots a little bit too far, but yeah. you get what I'm saying. Either and way, it, that's hilarious from Xavi. Like, I, <laughs> that is, I love that. That's phenomenal. Yeah. Um, and anecdotally speaking, by the way, everyone uses cash in Italy. Uh, when I use a credit card in the supermarket, they frown at me like, why Why are you doing <laughs> this? Yeah. So there, There's there's one off the bingo sheet. Uh, <sighs> Ryan complaining about Italy. Yeah. I'm not complaining. Thursday, it's- October 6th. Check. You know, the world's going cashless, but Italy is not for reasons, reasons, reasons. Uh, Taylor, let's talk about this game, shall we? Barcelona, what do we make of their performance here? Uh, They're in third place in their group now on only three points. Danger of a second successive group elimination in the Champions League. Is that warranted? Yeah, I mean, I think it is. I think, and that's probably where a lot of this reaction has come from, because this was a Barcelona team that seemed to have been in, in pretty good form, seemed like they had figured out their kind of best combinations. Uh, Xavi thus far this season has done a good job of making adjustments when needed to get the best out of the team. This was an Inter team who, losing this weekend to Roma, seemed like they were there for the taking, seemed like this could be an opportunity for Barcelona to get that win or at least get a draw on the road and then put themselves in better position. Now, as things stand, it seems like they're going to have to win these final three games, including including beating Bayern Munich, who uh, don't tend to lose group stage games. So I think they're in a a very difficult position now. And I think it's sort of expecting maybe to be able to win or expecting a a confident, competent performance were Barca fans, uh, expecting Inter to maybe not be as up for it or for there to be a lot of pressure on them. Then the VAR decisions and and even just some of the play, you don't really get many opportunities for Barcelona until like the 70th minute or so thereabouts. So it wasn't this sort of wide open back and forth game where there were lots of opportunities. It ends up being a game that was sort of stodgy at times with a lot of VAR intervention. And I think that leads to even more frustration than would have already been there. And I think Barcelona kind of only have them themselves to blame in terms of their, their performance. Yes, okay, maybe there was a dodgy VAR decision in there, but um, that would only have got them a point, you know, it, rather than, than a win. So it, it felt like they were quite predictable in this game. A lot of their attacks were coming through Dembele on, on the right side and, 
he was he was quite muddled in his decision making and didn't always produce the final ball and and you they, they struggled to get into dangerous areas so Barcelona only had two shots on target in this whole game and when you look at the the quality of their attack and the players that they brought on Ansu Fati comes on in this game um obviously you have Lewandowski who's scored a, a bajillion goals in La Liga so far this season and he just didn't have any service at all and Inter did do a good job of of stopping the supply line into him um and basically stopping Barcelona finding any sort of channel other than that right side but it, it felt like Barcelona were very much playing within themselves and so Inter took advantage of that and there's only and, so many so much complaints you could have about that and credit to Inter for that defensive structure because I think that is something a well-executed low defensive block is the recipe to to, to upset teams like Barcelona right who ha- pretty clearly have more talent than Inter Inter without Lukaku in this game without Brozovic in this game Barcelona had better players on the field, but I mean, a, a great neutralizer in soccer is to compress space, to be compact, to sit deep. And Inter, you know, fair play to them, did that very, very well with a relatively attack-minded central midfield trio. So they had Hakan Chalanolu playing as the number six, right? So he was sitting the deepest at times with Mkhitaryan to his left and Barella to his right. You know, those are progressive number eights at best, and, and certainly with Mkhitaryan and even Chalanolu they've been more attack-minded tense or even playing a little wider in the past. And so I thought that midfield setup from Inzaghi was fascinating, and it, it absolutely worked. Barcelona couldn't find space. You look at their pass map from this game, and it's a U, right? It is that horseshoe of sadness shape where they're not penetrating into the box. They're just horseshoe going around and around. Yeah, that's not mine. I learned that recently on, a, on an Austin FC podcast I did. I'm so thankful. It was phenomenal. Landon and Jeremiah, you guys are great because that was an awesome reference. It is, but it's like, you know, we're just passing the ball around in this horseshoe shape around, out wide, back in front of the box, back around to the other side. And, and they were over-reliant on Dembele. His dot in terms of touch map was just massive relative to everyone else. But again, Credit to Inter because it's hard to execute this. I think a draw almost certainly would have been the most fair result from this game. But, I mean, they get a really nice goal from Chalanolu from outside the box. There's a ball on the floor. On the floor. It beats Ter Stegen, and that's 1-0. They can pack it in for the second half, and, and this game mm. is done. I, I found it difficult to work out what Xavi was going for with his defensive shape. So, yes, there were, there were problems on the attacking side of the ball that you've laid out well there, Joe. But on the defensive side... Too, I, I, a lot of my confusion just once again came from the use of Marcus Alonso as a left back. It, it just doesn't work, and and Xavi seemed to want to use him as as uh, as part of a back three out of possession. But then when they counter press and win the ball back, Alonso doesn't have that mobility to to get forward, and this in turn denied Rafinha supply and then Ansu of any service when he came off the bench and there's no option on the overlap on the overlap which made it easier for Inter to keep things congested and pinch the pitch and, and keep things narrow with the exception of Dembele on the right who was as we've spoken about he was unpolished and 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 his output but once Inter kind of figured this out halfway through the first half they, they started to get Darmian higher up the pitch and also DeMarco up on the left side as well with Roberto pushing into midfield for Barcelona and I, I'm, I'm struggling to work out what Xavi wants to do with his defence. It kind of feels like he doesn't have the personnel to to kind of enact any sort of plan. Baldi comes off and off the bench in, in in the second half, and maybe he's he's a lot more he's slightly more mobile than than Alonso. But it's kind of confusing to work out Barcelona's defence. And just to add to the confusion, Bar- Barcelona have gone something like 550 minutes without conceding in La Liga, even though, and I've watched pretty much all of those 550 minutes, their defences look shaky at times. So. Yeah, maybe I know nothing. 
Uh, yeah, that's my MO, actually, Graham. I'll take that one. Um, Horseshoe of Sadness, by the way. That is entering my lexicon. Thank you very much, Joe. Yep. I wonder if there's a more positive... Is it like a Horseshoe of Hope or a Horseshoe of Opportunity as well? I don't Depends I on- don't think so, because if you're getting into the box and creating good chances, then the horseshoe shape is kind of gone, and it's just maybe a line or some sort a of wicket. square. It's a I wicket. The upside-down it- horseshoe is a wicket. It's a wicket <laughs> of hope. There yeah. you go. I like it. It's all about breaking the horseshoe. That's what it's all about uh, to get in there. Uh, Inter, of course, with the advantage in this one, their Milan buddies, Milan AC, uh, having less fortune uh, this Champions League match day. Let's talk about that one after a very quick break. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Let's talk Chelsea 3, Milan nil. Fafana with the opener in this one. Aubameyang with another goal in this week. And Rhys James with a, a goal as well. A very nice near post finish from Rhys James, who had a very good performance in general on this one. Um, Joe, the narrative has been that Milan weren't up to much in this game. Was that the case or was it that Chelsea and, and Graham Potter's Chelsea were purring in this one? What? How did you see it? I don't think I saw it as Chelsea purring, necessarily. I thought they were good. (laughs) Also, I just never would think of any soccer team as purring, so maybe that's on me. Uh, I I thought Chelsea were good in this game, and I thought Milan were bad in this game, but I didn't think either team was exceptional or horrible, if that makes sense. So on a number of of the different Chelsea goals, so this one ends 3-0, it's poor defending from Milan on Chelsea's second goal. So they're they're far too slow to close down Reese James' cross from the right wing. And then it's poor marking from Tamori on Aubameyang. And, and he puts the ball in the back of the net. And that's 2-0. And then the third goal for Chelsea doesn't come that much later in the second half. But it comes later. Chelsea's third goal is Milan in build-up. They're trying to build out of their own half to break into the attack against Chelsea's press. And they turn it over pretty poorly. Sterling has this great ball to Reese James. It's, it's a perfect ball in this moment because he receives it and he's outside the box. He has a moment to sort of think. And he has Reese James overlapping on his right. And what he could have done, and almost certainly what I would have done in this situation, is just immediately play the ball to Reese James. But instead, Reem Sterling in zone 14 waits just a split second, turns around waits for James to develop his run and then plays him forward so Reese James has the momentum immediately to get the ball, get his foot on the ball, take one touch, and he roofs it or, or comes very, very close to roofing it. It's a beautiful sequence from Chelsea, but another mistake from Milan. And I think the game in some ways was defined by those sorts of moments where Chelsea do something well, absolutely, and I think they've been they've been functioning solidly under Graham Potter so far. And then Milan just sort of invite them in the rest of the way to go ahead and finish the job. Yeah, that that third goal, I think, is worth like drilling down on for a moment because much has been made of the fact that Milan were without a number of their starters, definitely uh, injury hit. And so not 
that surprising that they end up losing uh, to this Chelsea side. But that goal was really interesting to me because it's Milan giving the ball away cheaply for the second time uh, in as many minutes. Uh, but this time they're punished for it. But it's also Chelsea, from the time they, they get the ball back, moving it really, really quickly. It's a lot of quick passing. And the way it ends up getting to Raheem Sterling, I believe, is there ends up being a tackle put in by a Milan defender, and that slide tackle puts the ball into Raheem Sterling's feet. So you could argue, oh, it's just unfortunate for Milan. It's a tackle that goes the wrong way, and now they're able to, to counter and score. But in this case, because Milan have had to kind of collapse and do a lot of improvised defending, culminating in that tackle, that's where Raheem Sterling gets that ball in that little bit of space, and that's why there's so much space to the right of him for Reese James to attack, and it's a credit to James for making that really aggressive run. As Joe said, it's really well done by Raheem Sterling to hold it up. It looks so simple, but it's not, because, again, in, yeah, in that moment, that instinct, that adrenaline tells you, like, make something happen, pass the ball, shoot right away. And Raheem Sterling does really well to slow down, wait, 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 and then play that ball. Uh, Reese James does well enough to just throw in that little ship, uh, ship himmy, is what I was about to say, hip shimmy, uh, to make the defenders think, like, oh, he's going for the FIFA cross, for the, for the tap in, and then he just rifles it near post. Every single thing about this I thought was really interesting from start to finish. And overall, a great win for Chelsea and their newly suave manager. I was gonna, just about to talk about that, Tate. Um, for, for listeners who aren't aware, Brighton is about 50 miles from London, but it might as well have been 5,000 miles from the, the, the journey that Potter has made from <laughs> the disheveled look at Brighton to... Yeah. Is he like he, a, a spy? Is that what he was going for in this? Uh, it, he always looked like, uh, we'll continue the Arrested Development references, but when Michael uh, goes to eat dinner with Sally Sitwell and is trying to impress her and then doesn't realize he has to wear a blazer, so he has to wear the like oversized <laughs> blazer with his unbuttoned polo, it's not a great look. And that's what Grand Potter always had. He looked like he had thrown someone's jacket on last minute. But now at Chelsea, he's got the... Uh, the stylish turtleneck, the black turtleneck to go with the black jacket. Uh, uh, apparently, you move to London, you get fashionable. Yeah. Someone took him down the King's Road and uh, yeah, yeah. introduced him to some establishment on that street. Yeah. So uh, I did the reverse of that. I used to dress stylishly when I lived and grew up in London, and now I just wear baggy T-shirts and basketball shorts every day. So I've, I've gone the other way. Is, is, the, is the King's Road, is that like, like Rodeo Drive or something? Yeah, it is. Yeah, There's okay. lots of tailors and um, fashion things yeah. going on there. Joe, I know you knew that, but I just I did. figured I, I, I just yeah. wanted to give somebody else a chance to say yeah, it I appreciate talk that. about yeah, it. Yeah, it's basically where Stanford Bridge is as well. So it's conveniently located for uh, Mr. Potter to get his threads. Um, Graham, talking of Mr. Potter, Potterball, what, have we learned much about it? I mean, we've, we've uh, obviously mm. made his debut in, in this competition uh, with that draw against Salzburg, and now has got some points on the board after Tommy Tukes failed to do so in the opening game. Um, what do we make of... The shape here, um, you know, Sterling and Mount floating around doing number 10 things. We've got James and uh, Chili, as I like to call him, providing wit. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so um, in terms of the team selection, there there were some interesting picks by Potter for this match. So Kepa, he keeps his place in goal despite Edward Mendy reportedly being back from injury. The, 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 the back three returns after the weekend's experimentation with a, a 4-2-2-2. And Wesley Fofana, he played on, on the right side of that three. He played well in this game until he suffers what's, what looks like a pretty serious knee injury. So that is... That is definitely one negative from this match for Chelsea. But um, perhaps most notably, Ruben Loftus-Cheek played in central midfield alongside uh, Kovacic. And I think most Chelsea fans would agree that there is a serious player in there somewhere. But the last few Chelsea managers have all had a different opinion on what what sort of player Loftus-Cheek is. So Conte thought that he was an attacker. 
Sarri thought he was a winger and then Tuchel often used him as, as, as a wing back. Um, but Potter seems to, to see him as a central midfielder, which if you ask Loftus Cheek, what his preferred position is, he, he's always said a central midfielder. And I thought his physicality was just so important to Chelsea getting a, a grip of the game in the middle of the pitch. He got better as the match went on. And, and AC Milan, obviously, they have that double pivot of Benacer and, and Sandro Tonali, who are both excellent. So having that physicality, having that presence in midfield was was crucial for Chelsea. And, and back when Potter was appointed, we spoke about the midfield area perhaps being an area of, of concern. So if you look at how Brighton played under Potter, he generally used a two in there. Sometimes it was a three, but basically Potter de- demands so much of those those players in the middle of the pitch. And I wasn't convinced that Chelsea had those players, which is why you got instant speculation about Moises Caicedo joining Chelsea in, in, in January. But this is where I think uh, Loftus-Cheek and Kovacic offer, offer a lot. Loftus-Cheek kind of has that quality that a lot of modern central midfielders have, where he kind of, uh, he carries the ball a bit like a winger. And, and, and I guess that's not too surprising given that he's played there so often, but it's something that, that Bellingham and Chiumeni have. And I think Potter is making good use of this. So if you look at the other options, I'm not convinced Jorginho gives Potter the physicality he needs. Kante is still to come back from injury, so you can't really count on him. So in the meantime, I feel like that Loftus-Cheek, Loftus-Cheek, uh, Kovacic double pivot with Mount dropping in to help with the numbers. That seems to work best. So it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me to see that being replicated going forward. It kind of feels like Potter is figuring out areas of his of his team at a time um, and in this match there definitely was some progress and Graham shall we shall we heat praise on Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang who was brought into the club and bait and switched with his manager it seemed because he thought he was working with one and got another one <laughs> yeah I think Aubameyang has, has just given Chelsea a, a bit of a focal point in attack um, obviously he, he scores was it his first goal against Crystal Palace at the weekend it I was, think it was yeah, yeah. Um, and then obviously he he plays pretty well here. I, I think there's still some questions about how that Chelsea attack works and the fact that they're going for Christopher and Cuckoo, it, that kind of says to me that Potter isn't really convinced either. Christian Pulisic, I don't think, plays a, a minute of this nope. game, right? He doesn't come off the bench for Chelsea. That's so. what we like to hear, folks. That is what we like to hear. <laughs> Maybe what you like to hear. I'm not so convinced that is great for Christian Pulisic, head of the yeah. World Cup. But um, yeah, it's um, it feels like that is still very much a work in progress. But in, in, as far as short-term solutions go, I think Aubameyang is, is a pretty decent one. Yeah, and I think he he showed at least what he can bring in this game because he he totally throws off uh, Tamori for that second goal. He has that little feint towards the near post. Tamori bites on that one and then is completely caught in no man's land. Can't even really put in a good attempt at like a volleyed clearance and Aubameyang able to score. But I think that was also the soccer gods punishing Tamori because like a couple minutes before that, maybe five minutes before or so, uh, he gets into a challenge. He was already on a yellow. Definitely should have gotten a second yellow. And it is just Oscar level or maybe at least Golden Globe level acting from Tamori of like oh I hurt myself too oh I totally didn't mean to oh you couldn't card an injured person could you and he has the face and he looks like he's in such pain and he kind of hobbles away and then immediately gives it like a shake and then is back to full speed really good acting by him to avoid that yellow but as I said the soccer god's not pleased and he was punished with that second goal do you think um, Tamori treated this one as an England team audition of some thoughts you know playing in London and then did that I mean if so, it's an audition that he would like to have back. I yeah. don't know if he'll be getting that final call back for that audition, yeah. put it that way. If so, congratulations, Harry Maguire. You're starting yeah. in Qatar. <laughs> exactly, if, yeah. if you think about it, if you really think about it, this was the best thing that's ever happened to the U.S. men's national team. All of this. <laughs> so, Except Sergio Dest didn't play very well in this game and Christian Pulisic didn't see the field. But otherwise, you know, the whole England center back thing, just top notch. 
Yeah, that's quite a takeaway from this game, Joe, I'd say. Thank you. Um, I really had to spin it, but I think we spun it properly. <laughs> uh, anything more to add on this one, Joe? Milan are in third in Group E, now Chelsea in second. Salzburg, of course, topping the group after beating Dinamo Zagreb. Um, would you be worried if you were Milan at this stage? I imagine you would be. I mean, you look over your shoulder and you see Inter get that win and you see Napoli get a 6-1 win over Ajax and Napoli on top of the Serie A table. And, and yeah, you're a little bit concerned after winning the title last year. This Milan team doesn't scare me in the same way that Napoli does. They don't really scare me in the same way that Inter does either, especially with a healthy Romelu Lukaku. I, I think they kind of played a little bit over the sum of their parts last year, which is a great thing. And that's how you win titles so much of the time. But I, I'm not incredibly optimistic. It's still early and they're only three points back of the title chase of, of the top spot in the title, I should say, in Italy. But yeah, a little bit of a concern for me in this game with them you know, still in the, the thick of it for this particular group, but I'm not sure they're trending in a great direction right now. Does not seem that way. Let's move on to Anfield. Liverpool 2, Glasgow Rangers nil. Graham, I was quite excited about this one. It's the first time these two teams have apparently ever met in a competitive game, which is yeah. exciting in itself. But I thought this one might be, to use British parlance, a bit tasty. Uh, I, I, for some reason, I had it in my head that Liverpool are reasonably aligned with Celtic in many of their ideologies and, um, and various other Celtic reasons. Mm-hmm. And this one ended up being pretty run-of-the-mill comfortable win for Liverpool, which kind of belies their form in the Premier League, I would say. Yeah, so this was a much-needed win for Liverpool after the, the draw against uh, Brighton at the weekend. They, they were pretty much in, in control for, for all of this match. As soon as Alexander-Arnold scores that free kick early on, I think you know that Liverpool are going to get the three points. Um, for Rangers, this match was always going to be tough, but they have been, let's face it, they've been disappointing in the Champions League this season. The team that made the, the run to the Europa League final last season just hasn't turned up. Um, and at this point, I think it's just about enjoying the last three group games and, and learning from the experience. I thought Ryan Kent for Rangers uh, played relatively well. Obviously, he was play, uh, facing his, his, his former club. Uh, Alan McGregor was in top form. Otherwise, this scoreline would have been more emphatic for, for Liverpool. Um, but Malik Tillman was the most disappointing player for me for Rangers. We know what Tillman is capable of, but in the last few weeks, his, his lack of work ethic has become a real problem for Rangers. And time and time again, Tavernier was being left on his own to handle uh, Luis Diaz down that wing, which is not ideal. That's not a scenario you want to be in. And unfortunately, we've seen this, as I say, we've seen this before from Tillman over the last few weeks. He was, he was timid in the old firm game and then in that heavy defeat to Ajax as well. So, I would be surprised if he starts the home game against against Liverpool next week. It feels like he needs to come out of out of that team at the moment. That was disappointing. But uh, the way Rangers are playing right now, I think they'll just be quite thankful to have avoided a, a an embarrassing defeat. And Liverpool obviously look their shape. Joe, maybe you can yeah, talk about some of the sure. tactics that they use. The, the shape seemed to work well for them. Yeah, I, I think they needed a change of some sort. So this wasn't Jurgen Klopp didn't massively overhaul his teams approach to playing soccer, right? They're still trying to possess. They're still trying to press you high up the field. It's the same Jurgen Klopp stuff that we've seen, but he did make a positional tweak, right? In that way, a tactical change for this game. It was instead of the classic 4-3-3 that's become synonymous with Liverpool with aggressive number eights and, and the fullbacks doing a lot of the creating and the wingers being really sort of inside forwards and maybe Mo Salah rotating wide. In this game, it was more of a 4-2-3-1, but a flexible 4-2-3-1. So in, in space, bases in the field it would be almost a back three with Trent Alexander-Arnold playing deep as like sort of an advanced right-sided center back and then Simikas was up high 
on the left side and Salah was doing just a bunch of stuff on the right wing, tracking back, providing width, tucking in. I mean, he was doing everything on that right side. And so you had some variance in possession in terms of how they tried to approach this game. And then, of course, you have Trent Alexander-Arnold just saying, yeah, we don't really need possession. I'm going to hit this free kick and we're going to go one nil up. And it was a beautiful free kick from Trent Alexander-Arnold. But then another aspect of this for Liverpool is that I think part of the double pivot benefit in this game of Thiago and, and Jordan Henderson being together is they were able to fill in for the fullbacks a little bit more. So when Simikas would go up, Thiago could sort of rotate back a little bit into that left back, left back spot to provide protection and width for the back line. And sort of similar on the right side with Jordan Henderson, Alexander-Arnold's patterns were a little different on the right than Simikas's were on the left. But again, a, a tweak that shows Jurgen Klopp is actively trying and has seemingly found a way to try to stem the tide for a Liverpool team that has struggled heavily. It now seems like, given how far back they are in the league, that breaking out of the Champions League is going to be their biggest ticket towards real success this season, other than cup competitions in England. Now they're sitting second in the league, three points behind Napoli. A win here was huge for them. They needed it. They got it. And I'd be surprised if we don't see more of that 4-2-3-1 fluid kind of shape going forward. Very interesting. I'm imagining Trent Alexander-Arnold coming off the field and thinking, oh, I had a great game. Uh, yeah. I hope no other right-backs have a great game the following <laughs> evening and prevent me from getting on that plane to Qatar. Oh, boy. Okay. Um, yeah, good win for Liverpool this one, though. Let's talk about another good win. Bayern Munich 5, Victoria Pilsen 0 in the early one of the early Tuesday kickoffs. Uh, three wins in three for Bayern. They are top of Group Z. I think when Chupin Moting is on the scoreline, no, that's sort of an indication that you've been beaten pretty well by Bayern yeah. as a general rule, right, Joe? I'd say so. That's really good. I've never thought about that. When it reaches that level, yeah, that, that thing yeah. is done. It, it's really, it's one or the other. It's either they're comfortably winning or it is desperation time and they've got <laughs> to make something happen and so they bring them on with five minutes to go it's one or the other but it's it's never good it just is never good for one team or the other yeah no disrespect intended to the former stoke striker lest we forget but uh it, it does seem an indicator of that fact a good fact also from Opsa france by munich unbeaten in 31 group stage matches in the champions league setting a new record in the competition they've also won their last 10 group matches which is quite Good going from then, I would say. Uh, how about Club Bruce 2, Atletico Madrid nil? Perhaps the biggest upset, Graham, of the round? Perhaps. And, and Club Bruges, have, they've been the surprise package of, of yeah. this season's Champions League as a, as a whole. They were expected to finish bottom of Group B, Group B but they're, they're currently top with nine points out of nine. <laughs> and the most impressive thing about the results has been the performances because Bruges took, took this game to Atletico Madrid, who just looked so anemic in attack and every time Atletico Madrid looked to be moving forward making progress as as they did after their away win over Sevilla at the weekend they always seem to take another step back like this one and again I keep coming back to this point it just feels like Simeone with his attack he's got so many good options four five six even good options in attack but he doesn't really know what relationship works he doesn't really have a combination that works and that kind of feels like the big question that is defining this season for Atletico Madrid for Bruges one player that has caught my eye in the Champions League this season is uh, is Ferran Jukla so he's a he's a player that I watched for Barcelona last season he was one of the players uh, Xavi experimented with in his first month as, as Barcelona manager I don't know if, if anyone remembers that but basically nope. he was just calling up <laughs> anyone from the B team and Jutla was one of them and I thought he did pretty well 
for Barcelona. So I'm 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 pleased to see him resurface at Bruges. He's he's got one goal, or sorry, he got one goal and one assist in this match. He's got two goals and two assists in the Champions League as a whole, and he's got six goals and three assists in the Belgian league. And I I like him a lot. He seems like a a complete centre forward. He can score. He can create. He's physical. He's only 23 as well. So I wonder if Barcelona maybe have a, a buyback clause on him, a few more performances like this, and they, uh, it doesn't take much for Barcelona to be interested in an attacker, so maybe they will return for him one day. Yeah. Pull them levers, pull them levers. Yeah, as long as it costs them lots and lots of money, I think it'll be totally fine with them. Uh, actually, it's so- all right, they've got lo- loads of imaginary banknotes, so it's fine. Yeah, uh, the, the, yeah, Chavi's waving around uh, with reckless abandon. Uh, I'll say one one other little thing from this game for me. I, I saw the score before I actually watched any of this game. I watched the highlights of this one. And I just sort of immediately assumed, like, man, they got to figure this Griezmann thing out because they need him starting these games if they want to make a difference. <laughs> Only to see that he did start this game, and they have worked it out. And now I don't know what to make of this one. Yeah. This group is so weird. Porto, Leverkusen, and Atleti all being on three points. Uh, like maybe that's just the parody balance balancing out and then the team that everybody wrote off ends up sort of jumping to the top but also maybe more likely is that all three of them are just having very down seasons yeah and, and Griezmann he also misses a penalty yeah. in this game so back on the bench for you Antoine yeah Benzema did, Benzema did against the bar I'm gonna say after what he how did dare the you yeah. how dare you <laughs> sorry Benzema it is when you come out of nowhere and like have like a reverse flick and then get it back and then hit a ball that nobody saw coming and then somehow your team scores and you win uh <laughs> More on them later. And also blackmail somewhere as well? Yeah, somewhere in there. Oh, here comes the fire truck. Here comes the fire truck, Joe. Can we actually, can we pause for a moment to say, I would love to do, as risky as it may be, a one-on-one episode on that because I found myself watching him and being like, I still don't know the details of that one. I don't know how clear they are, but I don't know if it's one of those things like Rene uh, Iguita. The old Columbia goalkeeper, he also was like suspended for a year and I think had to do jail time for facilitating a kidnapping, but it was basically like he knew the person who'd been kidnapped, and so he paid it, but because he paid it, he was in- involved. I forget how it works exactly, but I can't remember if Benzema like actually did bad stuff or was just involved in bad stuff. Either way, I would love to look at that one in more depth, uh, but I can feel like everyone is slowly pulling away <laughs> yeah. from their microphone should, while I talk should, about this. Should we book the lawyer for yeah. that podcast now? <laughs> I think it's just Taylor and the lawyer going back and forth, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. the rest of us are, should, are sort of sitting that one out. Should just, I call uh, blah, blah, blah? <laughs> <laughs> I just picture me talking to a microphone and then the, like, the lawyer leans in, whispers something in my ear, and then I just throw in allegedly at the end of a three-minute monologue. And that, <laughs> that covers us, I'm pretty sure. Um, on uh, a podcast I listen to, a film podcast, Mark Commode's podcast, uh, whenever they say something legally troubling, they play the noise of birdsong. So I imagine that Soccer World World would just be half an hour of birdsong. But uh, we shall see. Um, one other thing from this game, Graham, kit watch. Atletico Madrid's away kit, that sort of, I'm going to call it coral, that colour. Me likey. You likey? Yeah, I, I like the colour and you put me on the spot here because there, there is a story to do with that colour. It's something to, to do with Atletico Madrid or Madrid's folklore as a city. So if you come back to me on that, I'll find out what it is later in the show. Sure, I'll do that. <laughs> Uh, Ajax won Napoli 6 a big round for Napoli here of course a comeback win as well Joe Um, and Disantagic's getting sent off for Ajax for uh, a couple of yellows in this one Ajax biggest European defeat this was the heaviest defeat in any contest since 1964 and their joint largest home loss let us all Joe bow down to Napoli I mean, yeah, thank goodness I've been a Napoli fan from the start. Man, I've never had any affinity for Ajax whatsoever. I thought they were any good. Mm-hmm. Napoli for, for from day one for me, and I'm just glad that the rest of you sort of hopped on the bandwagon along the way. Napoli were really good in this game. They scored six unanswered goals. They controlled a lot of the ball, 57%. They took 26 shots to Ajax's eight. 
that doesn't happen a lot when you're coming up against an Ajax team that, that wants to have a lot of the ball and, and they want to be the protagonists in games. There's just so much quality in this Napoli team. Cavara was dangerous. He contributes in possession as well as stretching the back line. Uh, he's on the left wing in this game. Chucky Lozano providing a vertical threat on the right. I, I love watching Chucky Lozano when he is fit and ready to go. The number eights or tens are, are calm. They're technical. They're creative. They're just a really good team right now, and they have been for a while. I'm not breaking any any news here. They're top of Serie A at the moment, top of their group on nine points. Ajax were not good in this game, as a 6-1 scoreline indicates. But man, yeah, credit to Napoli for pulling out a scoreline that I, I did not expect in this game. And Luciano yeah. Spalletti as well, uh, being the the gentleman that we know him to be uh, after after this game talking about how he's been there before when Roma lost 7 to 1 to Man United uh and how like it's never fun but it's never indicative of the true so like uh, like state of the team and he was very very generous in his assessment of things i i doubt he really felt the inclination to like like turn the knife even more on ajax but i think he he did a nice job of not just being like yep we're the best instead uh offering commiserations instead of just celebrations graham could you see a scenario where Napoli are this awesome and they don't win a single thing this season? Uh, well, yes, because we've seen that in seasons gone by where they've <laughs> started on fire, like last season when I think they were top at, at Christmas time. Yeah. And then they, they faded in the second half of the season. It does feel, this might be tempting fate, it does feel slightly different this season. And I think one of the most frightening things about this win and just the, the way that Napoli have been playing this season is that this is this is Napoli without Victor Osiman, arguably their best player. And last season, one of the issues they faced was he got injured for a spell and they kind of fell apart without him. But they've got this incredible depth in the, in the attacking areas now. So Raspadori, he's been excellent these past few games. But then they have Giovanni Simeone to bring off the bench and, and, and get in behind and kind of score those opportunistic chances. And then uh, Elias Elmas and Tangi and Dombele, they also come off the bench in the second half of this game to just re-energise the midfield. So... As I say, I've been stung before by Napoli, who have a track record of fading away in the second half of seasons, but they, they really do look like the real deal at the moment. And I think they've probably been the best team in the Champions League this season. And, and looking at their domestic form as well, along with Man City, they've probably been the best team as a whole in, in all of European football. And they do two things uh, really effectively, in my mind at least, or two things consistently. They score goals immediately after halftime with a decent amount of regularity. They've done that against Liverpool. They did that against Ajax. They've done that a couple times this season in uh, Serie A. And oftentimes that's when they already have the lead or or it's like one-to-one or something like that. And I think to start the second half and come out, if you're already up to to increase that lead, if it's, if it's level, then to find a way to get ahead in those opening 10 minutes or so, I think always sort of it just shows you that they are able to make changes at halftime, but that they don't get complacent they don't slack off and I think Napoli teams of the past have maybe faded away been caught either at the end of the season or also late in games this Napoli team uh looking at like two of their bigger results so far I would say was a two to one win over Lazio Lazio scoring I think inside the first 10 minutes and then Napoli end up pulling it back they get the winner in the 61st same thing against Milan uh they go up in the 55th off a penalty so they're scoring in the second half then Giroud equalizes and then it's Simeone the aforementioned coming in and scoring in the 78th and they're able to get that win. And it's and it's grinding out results against 
difficult teams. It's grinding out results against teams like Spezia, where they get a one nil win and they're able to sort of get past them, keep those points, whereas we've seen teams like Juve drop points in those same level of competition this season. So I think it's Napoli getting the results where they need to to give themselves that cushion. Then it's about continuing that form, continuing that run, both in the Champions League and Serie A. Ryan, I could see what you're what you're talking about. I hope that's not the case because I think this team thus far deserves some level of silverware, even if deserve has nothing to do with it. Indeed they do, Tater. Let's take a very quick break. When we come back, we'll go through the rest of the Wednesday games. Back shortly. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our Champions League roundup. Eintracht Frankfurt nil, Spurs nil. Uh, Antonio Conte said, it was a good match. We played with great intensity. Whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm not going to lie. This match was on at the same time as Liverpool Rangers and Ajax Napoli and Inter Barca. And when I saw this on our our running order, I had kind of completely forgotten that this was a Champions League match. Um, So, yeah, maybe not. I'm not sure I believe you, Mr. Conte. Yes, uh, Spurs not playing uh, sexy football at the moment, shall we say, G. So uh, mm. uh, this one probably won't live long in the memory if indeed you did watch it. Uh, Marseille 1, Sporting... Sorry, Marseille 4, Sporting 1, doing Marseille a disservice there. Porto 2 by Leverkusen 0. How about RB Leipzig 3, Celtic 1? And Kunku with a lovely, lovely opener. And Andre Silva with a brace as well in this one. Uh, Graham, did you catch this one? I did, I did. And RB Leipzig were, were very impressive for periods of this match. Christopher and Kunku is just... Kind of the complete attacking player in that he covers so much ground, he keeps the ball moving, he's good in possession play, runs channels, he can create, he can finish. This was kind of just a demonstration of of everything that he brings to a football pitch. For Celtic, obviously disappointing for them, but Celtic's problem in this group has been wasting chances and this was a, a similar story again in this match and obviously it doesn't help when you have your goalkeeper passing yeah. straight to the opposition 37 seconds after they had uh, been given a reprieve by a, a questionable VR decision against Leipzig but Joe Hart maybe he maybe he could uh, he could argue that he was just being sportsmanlike and giving them the goal that they should have had it really I, it made me flash to when Pep Guardiola takes over at Manchester City and is basically just like, nope, that's not going to work. I need a keeper who can actually pass the ball. In comes Claudio Bravo. <laughs> that doesn't work. In comes Aderson, and away we go. Uh, Joe Hart bounces around, ends up, ends up at Celtic, and continues to pass the ball to opposition players. In this, I've watched it so many times trying to figure out what he is doing. And there are players in the area where he hits it, but there are 
significantly more Leipzig players in the area, which is why from the time he passes it, uh, I think it's Sobislai settles with one touch, plays it to Silva with one touch, who takes a touch and then finishes. So four touches, they come back the other way about 40 yards. And in that uh, moment afterwards, Joe Hart has the audacity to sort of like hold his hand up like that was me. And it's just like, yeah, Joe, we know. Just walk away, <laughs> get the ball out of the goal, like hang your head in shame and just like uh, maybe get back into it from there. But that was yeah. a very poor moment from him. Uh, but Graham, to go back to the Nkunku point, yeah, equally, in as much as it was a bad game for Joe Hart, it was an electric game for Christopher Nkunku, who gets the goal, but also should have gotten another goal, I think is marginally offside, but the goal that was chalked off was incredible. His finish, that little just chipped ball, and then it insultingly rolls in as he trots away to celebrate, but it's a great run off the last defender, it's great movement. Uh, He just kind of kept showing why Chelsea had been in for him and why I think he will be a very good player for them. I, I, well, I, you say that, but I can't wait to find out yeah. how they ruin him, given their track record of, <laughs> of central strikers. Yeah. Time well, there's that. <laughs> um, yeah, Leipzig, uh, Joe, you could say they were purring in this one. Maybe you wouldn't say that. <laughs> you you but, could. Uh, you yeah. could say that. In theory, you could, you could say that. Um, Celtic, uh, I think they've got one point. Does that make it one point for all the Glasgow teams so far, Graham? It does. I mean, that is a reflection of, of Rangers' performances. I would say it's slightly harsh on, on Celtic. They've got two home games next up against Leipzig and Shakhtar Donetsk. So I think they really need six points from those two games to stand a chance of making the last 16. I, d- I don't think that is beyond them. While Leipzig did deserve this game, I don't think Celtic were completely out of their depth like Rangers have been in some of their games. Mm. But yeah, they need they need to win the next two games, I think. They do. Famous atmosphere at Parkhead, which many European visitors uh, rave about. Uh, Salzburg won. Don't have a bizarre group. Neil, we mentioned <laughs> that, that earlier. sounds so fake. That sounds so no, fake to me when you say that. It's quite true, isn't it, Graham? Lots of teams... Oh, no, I know it. I know it's true. Just you trying to hype up Scottish atmosphere, Ryan, is sort of... It, it's. Uh, I'm trying to think. It's like me being really excited for Manchester city yep. is what it sounds like they're allowed one good thing taylor <laughs> okay yeah all right it, italy's allowed pizza um <laughs> salzburg one dinosaur group nil uh salzburg as i mentioned top of group e real madrid two Shakhtar Donetsk one rodrigo and vini jr getting uh real madrid's goals tay tay uh three oh. wins from three three excuse me for madrid they top group f they're just so good. They're just so very good. I don't understand how they didn't win this game by like seven goals. They had so many chances. And at the same time, those chances were all like well created. It wasn't just that they were like head and shoulders above. It was just that they played electric football from start to finish. It really could have been a ridiculously lopsided score, some good goalkeeping, probably some shots that should have been on frame went just wide. But I think you could see just the interplay, how well connected uh, Vinicius Jr. and Benzema are, Rodrigo as well. And I think a player who we've talked about uh, at various points this season but deserves a shout is Fede Valverde, who I believe plays the entire game. And you wouldn't know it because the motor he has in the first minute is the motor he has at the end of the game. He is all over the place. He's making uh, plays. He's making interceptions. He's he's, uh, pressing really well. He's getting shots. He was so good to this team and is so good to helping that attacking play, uh, especially in transition to attack on the counter. And then having good defenders and solid, reliable defenders at that. Ferlan Mendy has a play when it's, I think, still one-to-one. He closes maybe 20 yards, and it's 1v1. It's not his man, but he's able to just put one foot in, and he knocks the ball into the player's foot, and then that kind of stops that play cold. But it easily could have been 2-to-1 right there in a very different story, a very different narrative. So I think having players who can step up and underrated players or lesser heralded players stepping up to make those plays at the same time uh, has to have Madrid fans feeling pretty confident. 
36 yeah. shots. 36 shots for Real Madrid. That's so many shots it's in ridiculous. one game. That is so many. And by my count, it's I'm ridiculous. looking at the shot map right now. It looks like 25 or 26 shots inside the box. Yeah. That's also so many, so many shots. Yeah, Shakhtar are certainly a bit fortunate to only get out with a 2-1 loss for goal difference purposes. But yeah, Madrid were dominant in this game. 36 shots. There's so many shots. Quote Joe Lowry on stage with a shoe in his hand. Is uh, Correct. what I will say. <laughs> Um, yeah, and Taylor, I think you're right to pick out uh, Fede Valverde as well. I think it, this season, in certainly recent weeks, he has shown he's basically a keystone of that Real Madrid team. Very impressive indeed. Has me excited for Uruguay at the World Cup. Sevilla really, won. though? Really? Are you? Yeah, yeah. I don't know why. Uruguay are always like, I think they're just always an interesting team to watch. Sometimes it's because they're playing a 4-4-2. Sometimes it's because it's Suarez <laughs> and Cavani. I love Diego Forlan before that. Fede Valverde coming in. Uh, Bethlehem in there. Yeah, Fair they've enough. got they've got some players, man. Nahitan Nandez still around. Oh, Let, I, let's get I'm it. I'm not saying they don't let's have good it. players. They have plenty of talent, but yeah, stylistically. Anyway. Oh, yeah, you, you, you don't, love the, you don't love the, the like, grit your teeth and win sort of game? Yeah, I guess I guess that's fair. Listen to the American uh, trash-talking the style of another national team, hey, not playing the exciting saga. I am, I am pleased for Uruguay that they have a style. Man, that must feel good, doesn't it? Wow. I'm sorry, Graham, <laughs> when was the last time Uruguay won the Gold Cup? Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you point. very much. Good point. Graham, we should just enjoy that Joe and Taylor seem to be disagreeing a lot on air lately, and I'm really enjoying that we have some actual <laughs> conversations of disagreements on this podcast, which is wonderful to hear. Uh, I can't wait the to pa- see that the on the parents stage. parents are fighting. <laughs> Usually it's just England, bad. Scotland, bad. I'm just trying to find some other things for us to disagree about. That's there we all. go. I love it. I love it. Keep it up, Joseph. Uh, Sevilla 1, Borussia Dortmund 4. Jude Bellingham with a golden assist in this one. Oh. Dortmund a second in Group G. Uh, Dortmund looking reasonably good coming out of some questionable form um, coming into the Classica with Bayern Munich this coming weekend a strange game though certainly for Sevilla uh, <laughs> less than an hour after full time uh, Julian Lopetegui the coach was sacked uh, Ju- uh, Jorge Sampaoli has been confirmed as a new Sevilla boss minutes before that, we started that should calm it down that should calm yeah. it down right there <laughs> yeah. that should just de-escalate that should get everybody on board everybody <laughs> playing really well I also read that they told Lopetegui before the game yeah, that yeah. he was going to be removed so well, that's fun. Here's 90 minutes for you to probably yeah. lose, and if you win, it won't matter. Well, that's what that's why it was such a weird atmosphere because it kind of yeah. felt like the outcome of the match didn't matter at all. Yeah. Everyone there knew that this was Lopetegui's last game. He goes into the middle of the pitch after full time, and he kind of applauds the fans and points to the points to his, the the badge and like up, up over his heart, and you know, as, as to say like <laughs> thank you and stuff like that. But so and then it was, rips it was his shirt really off weird. and reveals a Wolverhampton jersey. <laughs> in a very dramatic <laughs> exactly, fashion. Yeah. <laughs> oh dear yeah that one's not been announced yet but that one seems like it's coming very shortly doesn't it it does yeah indeed um it was not a techie who left spain like a day before yep. the world cup as well wasn't it <laughs> i mean he, he, he didn't want to yeah that's that's been the most interesting thing about like discussions of lopetegui is how quickly people will say like jamie Carragher managed spain managed real madrid and it's like did he though because <laughs> that did not go the way i think the the spanish tenure was meant to go so uh, i know he technically did i just think not maybe in the capacity that was expected but still a very good manager and i think uh will be probably good at Wolves. Weirdly, I would have thought, like, it'll work out fine, except that he's another George Mendez client. And so it's just they keep just hiring whoever George Mendez has available. Uh, I'm assuming it's more than that because obviously they had the connection to him, what, like six yeah. years ago or so. Yeah. But uh, but we'll see. We'll see if it's just another well, George Mendez uh, revolving door. 
I, I think Lopetegui is a really good coach. It, it, yeah. it fell apart pretty quickly for him this season, um, but it was only, it, it was recently as February, people were talking about Sevilla as, as the Liga title challengers. And I think the summer window was really bad for Sevilla. And I think Monchi has to, has to shoulder some of the blame for that. So it's not, it's not purely on Lopetegui. And it kind of felt like towards the end, Sevilla and Lopetegui just needed something a little bit different. So it feels like Lopetegui is going to get that at Wolves. And I w- I'd like to see him do well there. Indeed. Benfica won, Paris Saint-Germain won. Joe, we mentioned at the top of the show, Leo Messi with a lovely finish in this one. 40th different opponent. We'll re-emphasize that one as well that he scored against in the Champions League. This Messi fella, he's got a future ahead of him, Joe. He he does. I think if he keeps it up, he could be a really good player someday, Ryan. I, I used all my PSG material in the intro, so I got I got nothing else to add. All right. I will add that this was a pretty entertaining game from the highlights I watched, and Neymar had set himself up for a scissor kick, which hit the bar, which was a very exciting moment of this game as well. A couple more to go through. Man City 5, Copenhagen nil. Erling Haaland with a brace, uh, I think mercifully was taken off uh, for the second <laughs> half because he could have run up. and uh, Would that have been his fourth home hat-trick in a row? Something insane yeah. like that, yeah. Uh, 19 what a party pooper, by the way, Pep is. Pep the party pooper. I wanted that <laughs> I wanted that hat-trick more than anything else. Why, why, Graham, did he start this game, though? Do you think he insisted in starting? Because he didn't have to play him in this game, surely. Yeah, he could have just taken uh, taken the night off, but I feel like that's not in his programming, so uh, <laughs> he had to play. Indeed. Well, City with maximum points in Group G, Copenhagen, uh, understandably can, not picking up. Can, I, can I just give you a, a Haaland stat here, right, which mm-hmm. just blew my mind a little bit. He's got as many Champions League goals as Luis Suarez has in 51 fewer games. Whoa. Now, you hear these stats all the time, and it's like a striker, you're like, okay, yeah, that, that makes sense. But we're talking about Lu- Luis Suarez is one of the best strikers who has ever played in the Champions League and played for an incredible team, and Haaland's got as many goals as him in 51 fewer games. That's just, that can't be allowed. Yeah. Guys, if it helps, I think I figured out uh, how to bring Erling Haaland back down to earth uh, because m- my daughter is currently... Uh, in like like sleep regression, she she likes to wake up in the middle of the night like all the time. Erling Holland, oh, when that. he has children, that's what has to happen. We need to get him uh, having children, then he won't be able to sleep as much. Then he won't have all the free time to dedicate to to playing the football, and then his game will decline. So I think the Premier League needs to focus on uh, have uh, him He's having children. Yeah, he does well, That's a good point. Uh oh. <laughs> Uh oh! Now we got a problem. Now we got a problem. So I guess we're looking at like an Android situation. Is that what it is? Yeah, yeah. Just a full, or he's just oh, a full God, this robot. Is a, this is the start of the end of the world. This is what's happening here. <laughs> I think I'm going to switch analogies and say he's a Targaryen and has to keep the bloodline going. He's probably going to marry his sister at some point. Ew. Oh wow! Yeah. yeah, and I'm the one who needs the fire truck of lawyers. Yeah, I'm going to say actually, yeah, that was um, that was parody fire truck of lawyers. By the way, <laughs> there it is. <laughs> One more game to discuss. Let's move swiftly on from that comment. Juventus 3, Maccabi Haifa <clears throat> 1. Excuse me, uh, Rabio with a brace here and Vlavic with the, the panic. Sorry, the I'm, sheer panic I'm, in your still, voice. I'm still on the... I, I think there's... So many people are talking about Erling Holland. I can guarantee you that no one has said that about Erling Holland yet. People have said a lot of stuff about Erling Holland. That has got to be new. Ryan, in, in that way, good job. I, I'm a trailblazer. Yeah, you're welcome. Wow. You're welcome. All right, anyway, Juve. Uh, yeah, first win and first points for Juve, taking some pressure off of Max Allegri did this result. Uh, apparently only 29,000 or less than 29,000 mm. fans in Juventus Stadium, fans staying away right now. Probably, Graham, not just because of um, Juve sucking a little bit recently, but also because of economic factors in Italy at the moment. But uh, yeah, um, a, a good a good win for them. 
Yeah, I also read that UV home tickets, the cheapest ticket is 140 euros at the moment. What? So I can't imagine that is that is helping much either. But um, the fans that were at the Allianz Stadium for this game got a good show. And I think Angel Di Maria just makes such a big difference to this Juventus team. He registered assists for all three goals that Juventus scored. And just having someone who can carry the ball quickly and get them up the pitch quickly and, and play a pass and provide some service to Vlaovic, who all of a sudden looks like a, a different sort of striker when he's got someone giving him that service. It, it was almost like watching a different team. I say almost because Juventus still looked pretty open at the back, as demonstrated by the way Maccabi Haifa got in behind to score. And at 2-1, it was a little bit edgy for Juventus, mm-hmm. but but nonetheless, they, they look so much more potent in attack and uh, basically Angel Di Maria can never get injured again that is the the main takeaway for that from this game for Juventus all right <laughs> that is a good takeaway to have and a wonderful Champions League roundup Joe anything more you want to say do you want to evoke the lawyers one more time I don't I don't think so but thank you for giving me the the chance to do so you're very welcome anytime Joseph um Taylor Rockwell thank you very much for joining us on this here podcast and enlightening us and brightening our day as always I do my best thank you my friend Thank you very much, Graham Rutherford. A pleasure as always, good sir. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. And just to finish, I have the backstory of that nice Atleti away kit. The colour is inspired by the fruit of the strawberry tree, which is on the Madrid coat of arms. I know you were on the edge of your. I know that you were on the edge of your seat waiting for that one. So there you go. I see. I looked it up, and it says the colour is inspired by them wanting to make money by selling another kit. That too. Yeah, that's the one. That's the one. There we go. All right, and Joseph Larry, once again, thank you very much, sir. One more chance to invoke the lawyers. It's, 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 all, it's here for you. Uh, I'm, am I stupid? Would not the color of the fruit of the strawberry tree be like pink and red? <laughs> I, what is? <laughs> I feel like I missed point. something. Anyway, what? I got. Let, I just, let's be done. I don't understand do what's remember, going on. <laughs> do you remember the South Park episode when the Washington Washington? Uh, I won't say the name, but that team let uh, their trademark lapse, and so the boys take it and they start like running their own company called that, <laughs> and their entire pitch is "Go f yourselves." That sort of feels like what teams <laughs> should do with their jersey releases: of just walk up and be like, "Yeah, it's a kit. Buy it, you pigs," and then walk away because that's really all it is. Stop trying to sell me on all of these things. You know we're going to buy it. Yeah. Don't try to make it fancy. We know yeah. you don't care about these things. You just want us to buy them. So fine, we will. Yeah, like Ricky Bobby doing those commercials. Yeah, it's like exactly. big red gum. F you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't chew big red. <laughs> yeah. Well, thankfully, us at Total Soccer Show would never think to try and sell you anything or anything no. like that. Come to our live show, by the way, November the 20th, a Littlefield, Brooklyn. Thank you very much, listener, for checking us out on this podcast. We'll be having another one on the feed very shortly. But for now, bye. Bye. 